0: Hello, guys, and welcome to the latest edition of Sport and Life. It comes to you from a uh, rather chilly but sunny courtyard in uh, Cheltenham. Very pleased to say the Malmaison Hotel. That Danny Gabadon, who I knew from being a Wales football star and playing a lot of his career in London, lives nearby <laughs> in the Cotswolds. Uh, Danny, that was a rare treat. We found that out on Sky Sports News recently. How are you, mate? I really appreciate I'm you coming well, over. well
1: thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, it's great to, it's great to see you we're talking about a coffee on our second flat white which is good because I've been up since three yeah. in the morning yeah, at work I, I,
1: I thought I better get you a coffee because
0: I thought I'd bore you to death in Stop, my chats so. start, flag, start flagging pretty soon um <laughs> but we we're chatting about the transition because I was looking and couldn't believe it and as you get older times moves fast that you've been what retired for four or five years yeah now? I have yeah and, yeah and how are you enjoying how enjoying life is at the other side of the fence you call yeah, it with us um, and in the media
1: it, it's been really good um you know a lot of people kind of say that kind of cliche life starts after football and, and it really does because you know you spend so long in that kind of football bubble really uh, you're so yeah. concentrated on your football and, and your training and um, it's a different world really football is not the real world so when you kind of come out the other side of that um, life really does start because there's so many things that you have you have to then learn um, you know progressing then onto a, a different part of your life what you're going to do next yeah. um, So for me, it's been at times difficult, um, but also I've enjoyed a lot of it as well. Um, You know, figuring out what I'm going to do next, going into the media, um, doing a little bit of agency work, uh, mentoring young players. Um, uh, My son was born at that time as well. Oh, wow. I
0: finished playing. That's quite a massive double whammy then isn't it to have emotionally to have that because that's a huge thing I became massive um
1: for the first time yeah so um in a way it was good because I had a lot of things kind of going on when I finished so I didn't have a lot of time to sit down and reflect too much and Mm. and think about um what am I going to do now um you know I should be getting up for training (laughs) now at this time I should be doing this I should be doing that I didn't have a lot of time to kind of look back I had to look forward straight away um as I said my, my girlfriend that was pregnant um I moved down to these parts at that time as well. Um,
0: Because you were based at Cardiff, were you at that time? um,
1: Well, yeah, I'd gone back to Cardiff... from my final season there before I finished. But I was living with my mum and dad actually. Were you? Uh, they lived just, you know, twenty minutes up the road really from there. So I moved back home for, probably for that say, year. Yeah. you've been a Premier League yeah. football. I know. It was, nice, back back it was nice actually. It was nice to um th- I mean they were pleased to to see me
0: because were they are charging you a good room and board at that time. Yeah, or? my
1: room was still there, yeah. untouched. Um but obviously you weren't
0: charging rent, were they or were they? Uh, no they they'd never <laughs> do that to me actually, never do that. But
1: it was it was nice because, you know, I spent so much time away from home from the age of, I think 16. I left uh, to go to West Brom, my yeah. first club, and since then, you know, you're here, there, and everywhere. You don't really get to see your parents too much. So that that kind of year was nice living with them, and um, and then I I sold my house up in London. Then when I finished, um, found a little place uh, down in Moundsbury, um, and I've been there ever since. And as I said, uh, gone into the media side. Um, my boy's three and a half now. Um, Kind of lifestyle to kind of sort yourself out yeah.
0: now a little bit, but that is scary to have that uncertainty when you become a dad. Because I remember my wife thought I was a madman, but I'd be waking up in the middle. Well, but if she got pregnant, I'd be waking yeah. up in the middle of the night thinking, "What am yeah. I doing working in TV? It's a really you know, yeah. insecure job." And I guess it must be the same time when you're going through a huge life change, like retirement from football, to think, yeah. "How am I going to provide and all that kind oh, of stuff?" Yeah, hundred um, percent.
1: You know, obviously when you're when you're playing or if you're playing at a, a really high level and earning good money you don't look at your bank account all the no. time. I know it sounds silly, but you know, the bills are going to be covered and
0: things like that. But did you, you know, did you, did you live up to the, the wages or were you aware that you, you should save a little bit at the time? Um No,
1: I was, I, I was a bit of both really. Yeah. Um, I wasn't stupid. I tried to, um, save money, um, property and some investments and stuff like that. But also I, I you know, I like to buy nice things <laughs> when I could as well. So it was a bit of a, a mixture really, but, um, certainly coming out of it then, um, you know, when, when the pay pack is not coming in you, you, you soon kinda know about it. So, um, you know, I realised quickly that I had to kinda decide what I what I wanted to do next, but not just for to pay the bills or whatever, but well, you, just For a long my sanity time, a as long well. time for the yeah. rest you're only
0: thirty five, you're of a young course, man, aren't you? Of that course. That stage. Yeah. So
1: um but you know, also just to find something else that I could enjoy as well. Um it's never gonna be the same as, as playing football but I think it's really important, obviously, that, you know, whatever you do, you it's something that you enjoy, because if you don't enjoy it, you're not going to do it to the best of your ability. So that was my main kind of goal, really, and challenge, really, after finishing, trying to find something that I could enjoy. Even half as much as, as the playing
0: sides. You had a short spell as head coach of Cardiff, I did. didn't you? I after did. after I Ole Gunnar Solskjaer I is having, a, that, having a tricky <laughs> time. I don't know if you're up for the Man United job, yeah. if he gets the boot this time around. But I'm a Man United fan, so we won't talk too much about the struggles at the moment. But you replaced him at, at Cardiff for a very short period. You said that was a wake up call in terms of oh, workload, was it? It was um,
1: amazing. I mean, first and foremost, um, I have to give a lot of credit to Ollie because you know he brought me back into the club, mm. um, and I think he was actually the guy who recommended myself to the board um, to take over after really? him in in that kind of caretaker period. So, um, you know, he was fantastic to me um, in that small kind of time that I worked under him.
0: Um, it's and, pretty huge to even think of that at that time, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I, I mean, I, that.
1: at that time, I think I think I might have done my B license then, my coaching B license. Yeah. So I was still, you know. <laughs> A baby in terms of what I knew with regards to coaching, and when I actually got the call to to take to get the first game, um, that kind of weekend. I I didn't know what to think. I was a bag of nerves, to be honest with you, Ed. Because um, I'd never thought of the other side of things. All I'd mm. ever thought, obviously, about was playing. Because I was just still a player at that time. It's quite
0: selfish. I know you're a team mate, but it's quite a selfish job, is it? As a footballer, you should kind of look yeah. after yourself and your condition and get your sleep and rest. And all yeah,
1: um, you are very focused on yourself. As you say, you know, it is a team game, and you want the team to do well. And when you go out there on a Saturday, you know, you're fighting for each other and stuff. But but it is quite a selfish kind of game Mm. of football as well and you're trying to progress yourself and do the best that you can do so I'd never really had a thought of what coaching entailed in management until I was thrown into it and it it was an eye-opener for those four games I have to say there were some really nice parts to it which I enjoyed but
0: it was a lot of stress. <laughs> well, you're well. working as a pundit now, is it giving <laughs> yeah. you more sympathy for managers that sometimes they might be doing some great stuff on the training ground, but for whatever reason, it doesn't materialise on the it, on the pitch. It, it has.
1: Um, I think coming out of that, um, when the caretaker period um, finished and Russell Slade took over as manager, I thought to myself, you know what? I actually went back to kind of playing. Then mm. um, I thought to myself, you know what? I'll never hammer a coaching session ever again I'll never say anything bad about a coach in a session that he puts on because <laughs> cause I then realised you know how much planning and how much effort went into not just the week just you know just the day really so um I got up- utmost respect for coaches and managers and, and what they do now for sure yeah,
0: yeah. and it's uh, it's interesting you've always had the respect for players because that's a fascinating evolution working as myself as a, as a presenter and predominantly I work in places like Sky Sports News as my day job where we don't really give an opinion per se which I think is a lot of people see that as a right way for journalists but we get the opinions from you guys so you have to cast opinions not only on on the managers but also players and former teammates as well potentially how have you found that process to sit to sit in judgment <laughs> um I'm not gonna lie at first it was um it was something I was a
1: little bit worried about um Obviously, a lot of my friends are still playing, mm. um, so I was a little bit weary about, you know, if the, my, one of my mates has had a bad game, can can I be harsh on him? Will he be on the phone to me then in the evening saying, "Look, I can't believe you said that about me," but, but you can't really think that way. Um, you have to treat every player the same, whether you know them or not. And yeah. you know, if, if your mates had a bad game, he's had a bad game. Um, and that's how you have to call it in the media world. Yeah. Um, it's
0: easy to forget that mistakes can be made, though, of isn't it? It's from the studio. It's really easy to, to say, yeah. oh, he should have cleared it or he should have picked up his man or whatever it might be.
1: Yeah, I think it's easy to get carried away um, and, and be quite negative. But I think the main thing that I always try to do is back my points up. I think mm. if you can back your points up and justify um, a negative maybe that you're throwing against the player, then I don't think you know, it's a bad thing. Um, if someone makes a mistake, they make a mistake and yeah. you have to
0: you have to call it
1: as you see it. So
0: Yeah, it is it's about opinions and, and yeah, I suppose yeah, like the defender if it hasn't picked up a man, you have to say, Oh, he should have looked over his right shoulder then and then made that step yeah. that direction. So you're just more detailed with it. So you're almost taking yeah. the personal element out of it yeah. a little bit.
1: Yeah, you have to take the personal element out of it. Um, you know, you're saying what you're seeing, you're analysing, that's my job as an ex kind of footballer going into the media side of things, it's my job to analyse and and, and say to the people listening or watching um, why those certain things happened. Mm. And if that means kind of calling players out and saying, look, he didn't do his job there, um, then you know that's what I have to do. Some players obviously don't <laughs> like it and, and, and take it the wrong way but and stuff. But
0: I guess it can have an impact, can't it? Sometimes the media, generally when they talk about players, I always remember when David De Gea came to Manchester United, he made a couple of mistakes, Gary Neville criticized him, said it's not good enough to, to be a Manchester United goalkeeper. This was back in 2011 and it seemed to take him ages to get established but then once you're established as a, a good player you can get away with mistakes almost can't you because they start saying the old oh it's a rare mistake from from so-and-so and uncharacteristic yeah mistake. I think
1: I think he works both ways with that but particularly if you're a player at a big club um you know as you mentioned near De Gea um no one was really having him at the start they paid no. a lot of money for Manchester United and it took him a while to get up to his top level but he's been so consistent for so long now that possibly you know when you do make the odd mistake there and you get a little bit more leeway but it also works the other way I think where you've seen where back end of last season he had a bad spell mm. and because he's been so good for so yeah. long yeah. if you make the odd mistake then and you're if you're playing for a big club then I think you are kind of scrutinised a lot more as well as a player because uh, you're just so used to yeah. seeing these players perform well all the time you know, it's the same with Ronaldo or Messi or you know Mohamed Salah who in first season at Liverpool I think scored a hat full of goals and then yep got 20-odd last season and it was seen
0: as a bit of a bad season for him because he was so good the season before. But he's, he's an amazing transformation I want to talk about your career, but most Salah's an interesting one, Kevin De Bruyne as well, they're both at Chelsea. We didn't see it coming how good they were. You must know, because often we judge from the outside, he's a good player, he's a bad player, but how much the human environment makes a difference, the manager, the teammates, because those two players are almost just revelations. They may have grown up naturally, but you never saw them being that elite, world-class level in you before.
1: No. Um, particularly Mohamed Salah as well. Um, what he's done, kind of in the last three or four years, to elevate himself to that level has been incredible. But it's that's not just about going to the right club or um, having a manager that um, believes in him and, and mm. just playing week in and week out. Because that's when you do your most learning, really, as a player. Yeah. And getting those opportunities to to play minutes week in week out, but. I think we quickly forget how important the off the fields kind of stuff is as well. Mm. Um, and I think as a footballer at times, you know, particularly fans, they, they only see you really on a Saturday or a Tuesday <laughs> when you're out on the football field and you're yeah. judged for those 90 minutes or whatever it is. And nobody really thinks about, well, actually, you might have had a bad day at home or yeah. something could be going on in his personal life as to why maybe he's not performing on the pitch on a Saturday. so getting things like off the pitch as well. And some players are like that. You know, They have those personalities where they have to feel right. Everything has to feel right off the field for them to perform well on the field. And other players can deal with setbacks and off the field stuff and still then perform well on a Saturday as well. So it is about getting those conditions right, particularly as a manager, um, mm. knowing the personality of your players, what makes them tick. Um, one player maybe needs an arm around the shoulder, another one maybe needs a bit of a telling off. That's That's where the top managers... Um, you know, the clocks the guardios, that's why they're so good because they know the ins and outs of their players not just their traits on the field but but off
0: as well Yeah a big thing in the Premier League as well as you've spent a lot of time playing there is is the fact they've got a lot of overseas players and that's even more difficult because people look at it and think oh this guy scored 1-2 in, in Spain or 1-1 in what in Brazil or wherever it might be and it, it comes to to England and we saw with with Angel Di Maria he'd obviously been in, in Spain from Argentina but big cultural barrier at Manchester mm. United it seemed his house got burgled yeah. his wife wasn't happy apparently all these different things we didn't see and you played with, with South Americans as well at Carlos Tevez and, and Javier Mastrano it's a bigger adaptation for those guys into to the English culture yeah it's
1: massive um, and sometimes you can see it can maybe take a season or two for these players then to flourish and start performing at, mm. at the level you expect but it's, it is such a big Uh, culture change for a lot of these players you know coming over into the English game as you mentioned there um, Carlos Tevez, Javier Mascherano coming to West Ham didn't speak a word of English Um, and it it was really difficult for them at the start. Um, Carlos played a lot more than Javier um, but he wasn't really interested in learning English he was a lovely fella but didn't really try too much to, to adapt to the English language Javier was different he wanted to learn the English language you could have more of a conversation with him yeah but he struggled with minutes on the pitch he didn't play as much so yeah. um, you know all these little things have to be taken into account sometimes when you see a player maybe not performing to those levels it's more than just okay he's he's a good player and for some reason he's he's not performing you, you know, it, it can be something as simple as that you know your house getting broken into and you don't feel comfortable living in your own home anymore or mm. you know you're struggling with a language or family's a long way away family's a long way away uh, you know you're not able to communicate with your teammates so you're kind of stuck in the house on your own all these things can contribute to, to bad performances on the pitch on a Saturday
0: yeah it's funny because I was talking about Carlos Tevez because my little daughter's just started uh, primary school and she's I uh, got a boy in her class who's half Argentinian. His mum's Argentinian. She was telling me stories about Carlos Tevez. And I was thinking, and he was apparently really open in the, the media at home because it's in Spanish. And he's, yeah. he's, all these stories coming back, I thought, wow, we didn't know working in the media yeah. here. A lot of cool stuff about him and sort of inspiring elements of his difficult childhood and how he's, how he's come through it. And we couldn't bring that to the air in the UK working at Sky Sports. Well, we take it all back, though. Um, you were born in Cumbran. I was. Yeah. Uh, and what was that like? <laughs> South Wales, if people yeah. uh, don't, don't know too much about it. My dad was... Um, uh, kind of born in Abergavenny okay, and raised yeah. in that Not part of the early. world, yeah. Yep. So he's a big, big Wales rugby fan, actually. In particular, he sort of prevaricates a bit of football. I think he does support England a little bit of football yeah. sometimes because okay. of because of us. But sure for about you were <laughs> born. But you were born. You had. Um, is he, I looked it up your old man's Jamaican yeah and your mum was Bashan is it Bob, Bob yeah, Barbados yeah, yeah you've uh, done your own. I know here, oh, I you? thought I did well, <laughs> I need to make a donation to Wikipedia I use, it, I use it so much that I should really to put yeah. a couple of quid their way um, but what what was that experience like as, as a West Indian boy in Cumbrian in, in it was it was great to be fair I, I mean I can't say anything bad about
1: growing up there um, my mum and dad um you know, they moved to Wales at a fairly young age. Came over. Um, my mum was a midwife, uh, so she came over to do her training. Oh yeah. um, My dad came over and ended up being a car mechanic. Um, but it was a small little town. It is a, still a small little town, and I can't really complain about my bringing all the people I was surrounded by. Um, yeah. You know, I had a lot of lot of friends. Never experienced any anything bad. Um, mm. you know, my mum and dad always tried to provide for me in any way that they could. You know, we weren't rolling in money or anything like that, but um, you know, they they brought me up. Um, you know, I got a brother, sister as well, and we we've all been brought up in, in the right way really. So um you know a lot of my traits that I have, a lot of my personality is, is kinda of down to my mum and dad and, and how they raised me. So um, it was a good place to, to grow up, to be fair. Um, Beautiful was, part of the world, isn't
0: it, countryside-wise?
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it is. Um, rains a bit, but... Yeah, rains quite a lot, <laughs> I mean, that's the only kind of negative, really. But but I think as a young lad kind of growing up there, um, it was a good place to kind of kind of start, really, you know. Were, you never kind of saw too much trouble. Hmm. Um, there was lots of um, kind of places where I could go and hone my skills, <laughs> play football, um, yeah. wherever I could, really. Um, Whether it was a field and and a a football, I was there playing. So um, it was it was a good place for me to to kind of go out. Really, there wasn't really too many uh, troubles or distractions and
0: stuff. Not too many distractions. No, No. it's very uh, very raw. But it's funny because I'm a couple of years younger than you, but at the same time I was over in the West Indies. So I'd flipped. My dad had gone out as a doctor. We lived in Grand Turk and Turks and Caicos Islands, and. You know, we, we touched about racism when we were having a coffee before about what's happened with the England fans, England players and Sofia with the, yep. the Bulgarian fans. And I was uh, obviously a minority, but I was four to seven over there and didn't even think about it. And I suppose you don't, do you, when you're not? Because humans are humans. It's only when you grow up and adults start picking differences in people and trying to pick camps and tribes that you're aware of it. Did you experience any, any racism in football, in British football or, or abroad?
1: Yeah, no, I have, yeah. Yeah. Um... Playing for my country. Um, it was a fair few years ago now. Um, it probably would have been around 2003, I would have said. Yeah. Um, out in Serbia, um, and it's a similar kind of thing, you know, with the monkey chanting and stuff like that. And you know, you're aware of it as a player, but you're just trying to get on with your job, really. Does it um, just seem
0: so ridiculous that it's, you don't even? It's not personal. It's just a stupid thing, or is it? Depends on the person
1: Yeah I think it depends On the person I think it can affect Some people more than others um, For me I just tried to get on with it I was aware of it But I almost tried to use it To fuel me really um, yeah. To play better um, And I think that's what You saw with the England team As well the other night they, they You know They were well aware Of what was going on And they just wanted To murder Bulgaria And <laughs> just score as many goals Well it's interesting so the choice Didn't they To walk off yeah. At
0: half time they said We'll, no, we'll stay on and, yeah. and stick it to these guys Which yeah. you think actually it gives a double-edged sword because if you're beating a team you stay on and do that or if you're up against it you think well hang on you've just forfeited your team yeah. a win if we're going to yeah. walk off and, and leave it
1: Yeah so I think as a player that's the only way you can kind of fight back really is you know out on the on the field really performing to the, the best way you can and just trying to murder the opposition and silence the crowd really so yeah. Um, so yeah I had that experience I, it wasn't pleasant um, but you just know nothing really is going to be done about it. And it's still the same, you know, I yeah. say I like go heart back to 2003, it's still the same kind of protocol. You know, you get a, a small fine or whatever, you might get a, a game behind closed doors or whatever. And then yeah. you know, it was back to normal. And then the same thing will just rear its head, you know, a couple of years after again. So, you know, unfortunately it, it is a society thing. And it, it's particularly in those kind of countries, I think they're so kind of uneducated, um, could hear the manager, Bulgaria manager coming out after the game denying what had happened and <laughs> journalists saying well I didn't hear anything and stuff and it was that kind of ignorance that you're kind of dealing with so yeah. until you can educate people and I'm talking about you know kids really that's where it needs to start I think um, you know, nothing really is going to change it's going to be a long long process so.
0: well it's funny because young kids don't even see race because actually it's just like having different eye colour or whatever it's how much melanin you've got on your skin it's how much sun your ancestors were exposed to basically yeah. isn't it? And it's, yeah. it's so silly because the education thing and I, I wondered whether it's just a case of saying to them look here's a science everyone's homo sapiens we're all the same human beings and it's that's end of story isn't it science says this there's no there's no other argument whereas they want to sort of pick people up and say you're good at this or bad at that and whatever else
1: yeah but you know I think we can say you know as kids you probably don't understand it or you don't really kind of see it but I think you do Do (laughs) yeah honestly because I suppose you would the other way yeah my brother my brother messaged me maybe three days ago and said um, you know my daughter has just had experienced her first kind of um, experience with racism. Really? So someone in his school had actually thrown a kind of a racist comment at her and he How was, old is she? Um she's nine now I think. So um yeah. So he was having to deal with that and sit her down and explain yeah. all about it. I was thinking it, of three like and four year olds well, yeah, before yeah. Yeah, of course yeah. At, at three and four, you know, you, you don't really know much about anything I suppose <laughs> these so um, We love um, everyone, don't you? Most yeah. of them anyway, they love each yeah. other. Yeah. So. so um but you know it is happening. I got a stepdaughter who's thirteen, she comes home from school sometimes talking about what, you know, people in the class have said about her, um, mm. about her looks and things like that. So, so you know, we can talk about these kind of um, foreign countries, Serbia, Bulgaria, who are uneducated, but it's happening everywhere, yeah. really. You know, even, you know, here, um, it's, it's still a problem. So... um. But it's you know how do you yeah. eradicate I don't think
0: you really no. can it's impossible so. no but yeah it's like picking up random physical characteristics and then making a big deal about them mm. putting people down because of it yeah. it's a sort of human thing and that tribe thing isn't it it's like them and us which makes no sense it's like you don't know who you're going to get on with in the world so reducing it down and down you never know who you're going to miss out on being friends with and that kind of stuff no that you makes don't no sense. And, no. Tea and teammates as well oh, potentially
1: working 100%, together. 100%. Um, and it's just um, it's crazy really um because you saw the other night in Bulgaria where obviously that was a a planned kind of attack. Yeah. Um, and you've seen like the racism obviously in Italy as well, in Serie A. Um, and you've got fans kind of saying, well, it's not racism.
0: We're not yeah. doing it as
1: racism. We're just doing it to get intimidate. on the backs of the air, yeah, to intimidate the um, the opposition.
0: Okay, just continuing the chat there. We had a slight um, interruption just uh, with the helicopter and the, the recording stopping for a second. We're in the middle of... Uh, chat about racism but I mean one thing as well was not just the overt racism I wonder whether you are growing up as a footballer whether there's stereotypes as well because I remember people being amazed if a black player wasn't quick and things like that it'd almost be like oh, hang on a minute what can he do if he's not quick and athletic <laughs> do you know what I mean was that part of the, the, the sort of question because had this in America didn't they with American players not, uh, black players not being given the quarterback position for mm-hmm. ages and, and stuff
1: um, no that's not something that I've ever experienced myself but I do think now the way we are um, in life, we are very much that we are very kind of judgmental, aren't we? Mm. Um, and we kind of are very stereotypical and pigeonhole people into certain um, genders or whatever. Or you, as you said, there, if you're a black person, you, you, you must have those fast twitch fibers. Yes. <laughs> you must be yeah. quick. Yeah. Or, or if you're a black person, you can't be a quarterback. And yeah. I think that's just how we are. How we are now with society. We're very kind of
0: judgmental with everything yeah we um, want to be in groups all the time don't we? we want to be leavers or remainers or, yeah. or not just people we want to be in some yeah. sort of weird subsection
1: yeah and I think that's just how you know you look at football now and you know many years ago well not that long ago probably you know 10-15 years ago um you know there was no such things as pressing forwards or inside forwards <laughs> or you know you were just if you were a midfielder you were Everything. You were everything. Yeah, yeah, you were just the midfielder
0: when you? you were sent. you? Well, so I always wanted to be growing up, and I yeah. miss that now because you look yeah. at people like Robson and Keane and Vieira, and you think, wow, that's what you want to be. Exactly. You can do a bit of everything. Exactly. Now it's you're a defensive
1: midfielder, or you're a box to box midfielder, or you're a number ten, and even that's how football's gone. You have to be this certain kind of yeah. player now, um, and it's, it's similar with with life now as well. I think we we are very kind of judgmental and and see certain people in in a certain way that they are only capable of maybe doing certain things
0: yeah but it's interesting because the racism thing obviously it comes from fandom and I started this podcast I was trying to look at why I'm still obsessed with sport or work in (laughs) sport why you know the culture is obsessed with it but there's a a great element to it that fans pay for for my job paid for your job as a footballer because they pay subscription fees for Sky Sports they pay for tickets the whole show is kept on the the road but then you look at things like the Sunderland Till I Die documentary on Netflix and you're like wow this isn't necessarily healthy these guys are like morbidly depressed because the team's losing every week and you know, there's a guy saying i'm not going to speak to my wife and kids for yeah. the rest of the week you think mate come on, yeah. it's only football <laughs> don't ruin your life because of it because there is almost the you know, racism obviously a very very negative as- aspect of it but there is a sometimes a sort of obsessive element which isn't necessarily healthy about fandom you think
1: 100 um football is an obsession for a lot of people um you know you only have to look at what's happened to Barry and obviously what what happened to yeah. Bolton in recent months and it it is to some people it is their everything um, you know they revolve their life around going to a, a game on a Saturday you know they work all week and mm. a lot of time it is to be able to then on a weekend kind of go and watch their local team and stuff and and to a certain extent I kind of love that um, and as a footballer you you kind of buy into that and thrive off that as well because you realise what it means to the fans at yeah. times um, you know when you're getting three points on a Saturday when you're putting in those performances a lot of the time you are doing it for yourself and for the club but a massive part of it is doing it for the fans because you know kind of the sacrifice that they make the money they put in the miles that they kind of travel to <laughs> it's, it's mad really when when yeah. you sit down and think of it
0: well, Newcastle to Bournemouth yeah, it's, or something it's like that it's unbelievable
1: yeah. as, as a footballer when you sit down and think about Fans just coming to watch you play, yeah. paying money to watch you kick a football yeah. around, and and it means kind of so much to them, and they they, they worship you a lot. Of, the time. of course, when you're not doing well as well, it can it can go the other way, and you can get a lot of stick and that. But to see what it means to you know parents, to to kids and stuff when you know you sign an autograph or you play well on a Saturday, or you sign a shirt for them, or you just have a five minute chat with them is. I still can't kind of get mad around it now. To be honest,
0: with you, it's crazy. It's I know when you think amazing. the average salary, I think in the UK, is something like twenty-five thousand pounds a year. And mm-hmm. then you think, well, that net income must be per month. And then you're paying potentially like up to a thousand pounds or more for a season yeah, ticket. Some of these guys, it's incredible where they get the the, the finance from yeah. to do, to well, do they, it. They keep finding a way, don't they? Yeah, um, that Sky subscription keeps yeah, going no, up. No. Well, which don't. I I not, have, have, so. I've got <laughs> friends I and family I deals. I'm to give you one. Now you're retired, I'm trying to
1: get you one. No, it's amazing what. Sacrifices that they make, um, and the passion that they kind of show as well when they're within the grounds, what it means to them. Um, mm. the, the miles that they travel, the the money that they keep coming up with to to support their local club is 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 incredible. So as I said, when you see the like what happened to Barry and stuff, mm. and and you see in all the interviews of the, the fans and stuff, um, and then you know some people are crying and you know, yeah, you can see what it really means to them that's when it really kind of hits home sometimes as a footballer at times you don't really have a lot of time to kind of sit down sometimes and think about the other side of things and what it what it means to the fans and the sacrifices that they make sometimes a lot of the time I think as footballers can kind of take that for granted you're very self-absorbed in yourself yeah. and um, wanting to do well for yourself but you know, I have had a lot of time to think since I finished playing I still can't get mad around it now as I say to, to think about you know, the sacrifices that a lot of fans make and the, the money that they spend, and, and what it means to them just to, you to put it in a shift on a Saturday and, yeah. and picking up those three points, it, it kind of means everything, doesn't it? It means everything.
0: I think it does, yeah. You said the effort is, is key. I mean, for people who don't know, maybe listening to this from abroad, Berry is a, a club on the outskirts of Manchester in the northwest of England, which is in, was in League One, won promotion from League Two to League One this season, but has enabled, been unable to feel the team has, has been expelled from the league because of administration, financial problems. Uh, with ownership, and I suppose danny that 's a thing it 's a difficult thing isn 't it' because at the moment with the money that 's attracted into the Premier League as owners come in viewing it as a business, mm. there always seems to be a disconnect in football because if you 're going to win stuff it 's not a same business to be in, is it because there's always you 're always competing with so many other clubs that they yeah. want more money to come in, and maybe you need your owners to be to be fans as well sometimes a hundred
1: percent I think a lot of owners or a lot of businessmen they look at football and think um, well, they see the amount of money that well, supposedly, as in the game, mm. um, and they want to—they want to slice of the pie, don't they? Uh, without really realizing what it takes to actually run a football club, how expensive it is, um, the different dynamics of, of running a football club is very different to uh, um, probably any other kind of business model. I would say. I think there's so, been
0: more winners in business, can't there? Whereas in football, it's—it's it's pretty kind of ruthless.
1: It is. It is, um, and it's—you know—it's so. Every year, there is more, and more money coming into the game, Whereas particularly at the Premier League level. Um, you know, you look at maybe outside of the Premier League, and there is a lot of clubs close to being like Barry. I would say, yeah, um, you know, the
0: Championship and down. Um well, Bolton have not long ago; they're in League One now, but yeah. not long ago, Premier League team. Exactly. You know, established Premier League yeah. team for a while.
1: Yeah, and they were um, established. Um, they, the model that they had at that time, everybody was kind of looking, mm. looking to copy. You know, when Sam Allardyce was there, um, fantastic facilities, stadium, um, bringing in. Experienced players um, and they were very difficult to play against. So you couldn't really see them not being in the Premier League at that point, but it can quickly go wrong um, if things are mismanaged off the field. And, and that is a worry, really, for me. With the amount of money that's in the game now, there should be more rules and due diligence, I think, with regards to owners coming in or businessmen coming into football and just thinking yeah. they can come in quickly make a quick buck and maybe then sell it has the to be a, on and,
0: some of the guys is that I think almost if they're not fans of that particular club it's a passion project nonetheless that they want to do it yeah. for the win or for admiration but that seems a better objective than trying to make a lot of money out of it
1: yeah I think if you're a fan it does help because you obviously understand the club a lot more what it means to the fans and you know a lot of these owners come in now they don't care about the fans all they care about is themselves and mm. making a quick buck
0: and you want an um, emotional reward rather than a financial yeah, reward when you go into um,
1: it think, maybe and, and it can work the other way where you are too invested in the club as a fan and maybe you make bad decisions because you you kind of your heart rules your head as well yeah um you know you look at the likes of can maybe Simon Jordan who was owner of Crystal Palace and yeah. um, who was a fan and didn't really work out for him there lost a lot of money so there is kind of a fine balance um But the game is just It's evolving all the time You know Not just on the pitch But off the pitch as well Like I said With the TV rights And the money That's coming into it And so alongside that For me You know The rules have to Kind of adapt And Mm. be more stringent as well Otherwise you're going to see A lot more clubs like Berry Um going out of business, unfortunately. Yeah,
0: football's maybe not adapted to it. It's interesting because it is difficult with the finance involved to maybe have the sort of local business success story like Jack Walker with Blackburn in, in 1995 yeah. when the Premier League title and him tearing up in the stand was one of the, the iconic I- images, I suppose, of the, yeah. the Premier League, a kind of small northwestern Western club uh, achieving that with his, his su- substantial financial backing. But relative to what it is now, it probably couldn't afford to do that with the, the sums involved. When you um, go back to, to making it as a footballer, when did you know you were going to make <laughs> it at West Brom? Because that, that must have been a big move, as you say, as a teenager, going from, from Cumbran to West Brom. I suppose geographically it's not that far in no. distance, but culturally a big, big, big change. Yeah,
1: massive. I think we talk about obviously foreign players coming over to English shores and stuff and struggling culturally, but even me, you know, as a 16-year-old living in a small town, um, Yeah move into a big city like Birmingham I mean I'd never seen anything like it in my life I mean I, I honestly I, I loved it but yeah it was a, it was a big shock at first um but I don't know I didn't know because like at 16. So were you still studying at that stage? Or were yeah you? I was yeah. still in school I was playing for my local team at 16 that's quite late to, to join a football club a lot of these lads now are in the yeah. system at seven eight years old um, I was starting to think about university and a levels and actually wondering whether this football
0: thing was actually going to happen for what, me or not Is that a problem um, now do you think that they're sort of they, they, it's almost a, a sort of fatalistic thing that you have to be picked up so young now to, to make it I think it it
1: can be a hindrance yeah
0: don't um, get late developers and
1: yeah because there's always late developers um, and you never know how players are going to develop some develop very quickly and then stagnate mm. some um, you don't see a player in them and then suddenly wow where's that come from so um, a lot of lads now as I said they're in the system from 7 or 8 and they're you know, they're being released at sixteen, seventeen, and they've been at the football club almost 10 years. And, yeah. and then it's like, what do you kind of do with yourself? So for me, it was a little bit like Last Chance Saloon, really, at that age. I was starting to think, well, I don't think this is going to happen for me. Um, and I got picked up by a West Brom scout, went up on trial, played a couple of games, done well, and then signed from there. But at that point, I was so far behind at that point because there were lads there who had been in the training for every so many day, yeah. years training every day you know I was weak physically um, I can still remember my first really? gym session I did and they were all doing pull-ups I'd never <laughs> even seen a pull-up before I couldn't even do
0: one it's funny Luke Varney the Cheltenham striker who used yeah. to play at Blackboard he went to crew he said that people like Dean Ashton were there and they're doing huge weights he said he fell over in the gym yeah the honestly them, yeah. Um,
1: so I knew quickly I was I was far behind and I, I'd have to catch up quickly but But I did, you know I I can remember You know, my dad says to me now um, After about three months of being as a YTS I think I went home for one weekend I'm in the car Yeah And he said, you said to me like I don't know if I can do this anymore Because I I just wasn't used to the day-to-day training It was really difficult I was tired all the time Um, But, you know But I loved it Um, So I got used to it quite quick You know, I I caught up fairly quickly You know, technically and stuff like that Um, So by... My second year YTS and I knew I had a good chance of getting a pro contract. Um we played centre half, was it? I was I went there as a centre back. Yeah. Um, but then I kind of got converted to a full back. I was playing how right did you, back How did you, you like that? Um, I didn't mind because you know, as a kid I played in different positions. I played central midfield, I played centre back, I played as a winger. Right back um, was probably
0: more. Like So talking about 20 years ago, arguably more defensive yeah. than it is, is yeah, now. Yeah, it was so,
1: just, yeah, it was more you defend first and then get forward when you can or support your winger kind of thing. But obviously now it's the, that position's evolved and I, I could never play that position now. It's, it's too basically much a winger, isn't me. it? It is, about they're the, it is. not it they are the guys that supposed to get whip. the crosses in. They yeah. create the width now. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was a strange one because up until 16, I was actually playing as a winger for my local team. Wow. Um, I'd gone on a few different trials and stuff And it hadn't really happened for me um, And I made a decision the start of that season there With my local team I need to play in a position where No one else is playing Well, no, more that I need to play in a position Where I can showcase what I can do more I felt when I was going on trials And I was playing as a winger
0: Yeah. Um, Don't get the ball as no, much
1: No, I wasn't getting the ball Players weren't passing the ball to me The game was passing me by So I thought, if I play as a centre-back I'm mm. going to be in the mix The ball can't avoid me At some point I'm going to It's good gonna, for, that's a good plan so, yeah. so that's when it happened I went back Played centre back Got spotted Went up there uh, To West Brom um, Played as a centre After first season of YTS We played a back three I played on the left side Of the three And then Second year YTS then um, I started playing as a, as a full back Then as well Um and then that's when I when I made my debut at nineteen um, was as, as a right back. So uh, it's yeah. interesting
0: that variety as well. Do you think that helped you as a footballer going to afterwards to understand the opponents and their movements and everything? Hundred um, percent. I think one of the traits I've always kind of had as a defender
1: was probably my composure on the ball, and mm. I'd, you know, I'd, I'd always look to try and play and stuff. And a lot of that came from being a winger yeah. as a kid. Um, that kind of technical ability and being a bit more composed on the ball and being able to dribble with the ball and stuff, um, that certainly that helped me. Um, and I think it's good to, to play different positions and understand different positions. And a lot of kids at academy level will do that now. Coaches will, will play them in different positions and see how they fare, um, see if they can adapt, see what they can learn about mm. other players' positions and, and what it takes. Um, so I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, and, it, and it certainly helped me um, when I finally decided on what position I wanted to play to kind of have those other strings to my bow, those other kind of um, attributes, I think, um, put me in good stead. Yeah.
0: The helicopter's coming back over <laughs> there after us. So every time I do it, I've done one outside my house before and it's uh, the helicopter comes around. I'm not sure what the timing is, but obviously uh, nosy about us. Uh, but I'm um, interested that, that about the kind of variety of positions. Did you do anything else as a kid? Because you didn't make it in the professional football until later on because I'm fascinated to do a lot of boxing that yeah, Vasily Lomachenko did Ukrainian folk dance James De Gale, the world champion super middleweight Olympic champion he did ballet for a period Evander Holyfield I found out from a podcast recently secretly did ballet he was a cruiserweight and heavyweight okay, world champion yeah. for his footwork did you do anything else because that's a problem with the academies I suppose if you're just doing football yeah. you miss out on some of that that cross-pollination yeah
1: I think um, it's a fine line you know, I see now um, with the agency work I do and stuff as well um parents are putting their like, kind of kids into into clubs, into the system at a young age, and then they're not really enjoying it. Yeah. Because, you know, at six, seven, you still want to be playing with your mates at yeah. times, don't you, and having fun and enjoying it. Swarming things. around so, the ball. Yeah, <laughs> so that's probably the advantage I had at kind of at that age. I was playing for my local team. Um, you know, I was after school playing football with my mates and stuff, so I was still kind of holding my skills. But... I didn't have that pressure or anything of being in that pressure environment um, of that co- kind of that you know that big competition um, of of trying to, to progress at a football club. So I think that kind of held me in good stead a little bit. Um, but it's 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 a catch twenty two. If a club had come in and kind of signed me at that age, yeah, I wouldn't have said no. no. If you know what I mean? No. Did you um, play rugby or anything? I else? played cricket yeah. actually. Yeah, I played a lot of cricket um, up until. It happened for me with we football at sixteen. So I'm from a West Indian background.
0: That's yeah, really my big, big played, thing, yeah, my dad played.
1: My um, dad played every weekend. Um, he would work on a Saturday. Um, he'd rush back. He'd get <laughs> pick up a sandwich in the house, and he'd be back out the door playing cricket. And as a young side, would go with him. The well, West um, Indies are
0: amazing. when we were young, weren't they? As well, yeah, to be fair. they were brilliant. Yeah.
1: Um, so he was. He was an all rounder. he Used to bat. He used to bowl. Um, and at that age, you know, six, seven, eight, I'd be playing with my mates on the on by the It's a good there. hand-eye
0: coordination that as well, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, you know, it, it, it all helps, yeah. yeah.
1: So uh, as soon as I was old enough to play, I started playing. Um, and by the time I got to 16 then, I was actually starting to get quite good at it. I, was, I played for my county. Um, I was starting to take wickets and score in 50s and hundreds and things like that. Um, but football was always the the main love, really. I think with cricket, I I wouldn't have been quite good enough to make it at the, the top, top level with cricket. But yeah. um, but I did enjoy
0: um, that side of things just as well. Just for fun. It's a nice yeah. di- nice distraction. Yeah. Well, so you did make it as a footballer. What was the moment like when you got the, the first contract at West Brom? Because to be paid to play football must have oh, still been, especially as you yeah. came into it late, a magical yeah. feeling.
1: Yeah, it was unbelievable. I mean, just to get paid 40-odd quid a week, YTS, <laughs> was like, people ask me now what was... And this best was the late moment. 90s, wasn't it? So it was yeah. not long ago. No, no. People ask me now, like, what's the best moment in your career? And it was, the, it was the day my YTS manager said to me, we're going to take you on. Because um, I'd had so many kind of setbacks up until then. Uh, gone to different clubs on trial and stuff and nothing had come of it. As a youngster, I'd written to loads of clubs. I was trying everything yeah. um, to get trials. Nobody w- w- would reply
0: um, it was all letters in those days. Still, letters, wasn't it? Yeah, I used pre, to write pre- Letters. I got yeah. the
1: addresses of all the clubs. Yeah. I wrote letters. Please give me a trial. I think maybe one club came back to me, and that was Shrewsbury Town. I think. Um, and it's it amazing was, how many players, how many talented players miss out, isn't it? That's it is. It about is. About it. So many players slip through the net, and, and as I say, sometimes at that age, you're not fully developed as a player, and you maybe you're not, you're not doing it then, and scouts look and think, no, he's not for me. But mm. then within a year or two, then suddenly you can develop and you're a totally kind of different player and vice versa. You know, a lot of players from around my area who were at clubs um, from a
0: young age then got to about 16 and... I remember a lot of kids getting started when I was a kid. Yeah. They were 13, 14, they were, because they were big. They're basically like yeah. Yeah. men. So yeah. And then they got everyone else caught up with them and they didn't have the skills to match yeah. up to their physicality.
1: Yeah, but I always felt like... I mean, I went on Child to Cardiff um, before I went to... Did Yeah, but it was back then you always felt as well with um even like with the national team you know the schoolboy football at that time i'd go on the trials and stuff and you almost felt like the team was picked before yeah you even got there yeah you know, the, the coaches seemed to know a lot of the parents of certain players and Count- stuff I remember and county
0: trials like that yeah. it's of who the coach was yeah it?
1: um and everybody seemed to get on and know each other and i'm there thinking well i've got absolutely no chance here and stuff so um so there was a lot of kind of setbacks
0: um, that but so who, who and, believed in you then? Because um, it is about that kind of thing of finding someone who backs you, chance, don't you? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, well, it was, a, it was a guy called Dave Harry. Yeah. And he was a local scout. Um, bless his soul, he's, he's passed away now. But um, he was a local scout for West Brom. Um, and he just came to watch me watch me play, basically. Um, I was playing for my local team. I think I was playing for... Oh, Cumbrian Town I was playing for. Cumbrantan. Town.
0: He came to watch so what, me. was that one of the Welsh... The
1: Welsh League. Yeah, Welsh I think it was called the McWhorter League back oh, okay. then at that yeah. period. So um he came to watch and he just said, Look, I want to take you up to West Brom. I was obviously wasn't gonna say no. Um I went up, played a game, um they said come back for a week. I went back then for a week, played another game again. Um and the youth team coach said to me at the start of the trial, he actually said to me, Look, Um, we've actually taken on our quota of players for the season so I was thinking (laughs) straight away again another knock back was that like a Um, free hit though in a way do you think So I just thought well let's just enjoy the week almost let's enjoy the week Um, but I don't think anything's going to come from it again Um, and he said look you're going to have to be an exceptional player for us to take you on so end of the week came I thought I'd done okay but was expecting to just get the the no again Um, and it was a first in game on a Saturday Um, my parents came up um, so he got us in the box We watched the first team game And then he had a chat with us all Kind of after the game And he said Oh look Do you remember At the start of the week When I said um, You're going to have to be exceptional For us to take you on um, And then I thought he was going to say Well sorry um, But then he <laughs> said No we think you're exceptional We'd oh, like brilliant. you to sign Yeah so that was the best moment Of my footballing career Above anything that I've done yeah. That feeling um, Of someone wanting
0: you to, And giving you that opportunity Um it's, it's, it was a great feeling yeah. getting a 42 pounds first time is that special as well just yeah. thinking of getting paid oh, this yeah. for playing football because yeah. I still feel when I was at BBC London we go to she started to drizzle a bit might have to, oh, uh, wow. hopefully it'll blow over um, but we uh, we go to the training grounds every Thursday or Friday and, and into, I don't get out as much as I did then but just that feeling of thinking wow these guys get yeah. to come here and play and it's their job yeah. it's still and it's hard because you don't always like, I don't appreciate always working in TV that a lot of people want to do that as well you get used to it but that first period it's not normal yet no, um, it took a while to kind of get my head all around
1: it, to be honest with you. Um, you know, the day-to-day training, being at a football club, um, seeing the players around you as well and thinking, oh, he's a good player, I'm, I'm not yeah. on that level. Just having to try and prove yourself and stuff because I always felt I was behind the curve a little bit because I joined a little bit later than everyone else and I hadn't had the coaching that a lot of these players had had. Um, I don't know if you want
0: to... Yeah, should we just go and step inside? We'll step inside the door because uh, hopefully it won't be too noisy just in there. <laughs> Let's go, hopefully, yeah. Uh, to try just, and just to keep recording, I know I know, yeah, helicopters and Wait. rain and everything See? like that. <laughs> you did bring the umbrella. Here we go, just by the uh, kitchen bit. tell you what, if we just pull up here, yeah. there we go. you sit there, and I'll pull around the side to you. Here you go, Danny. Sorry about that interlude guys we're now it's safely inside as the rain uh, comes down but you were saying just about the uh the first paycheck when you got that was yeah. it was it a check or was it a brown paper envelope <laughs>
1: <laughs> no I, I felt like i was a millionaire i was only about 40 odd, obviously quid a week at the time but um you know i'd never been used to even earning that kind of money um the only time i'd probably earned any money was in the summer when i would go down to my dad's garage and yeah. he'd pay me on, on you know for um, in the summer uh, working for him so um, it sounds like nothing now but at the time it, uh, you know, I felt like I was a millionaire. Um, and We'd also at the time we'd get our kind of bus pass allowance as well. Oh really? So uh, a lot of us used to kind of take that bus pass money <laughs> and we'd, we'd doctor our bus passes, change the date on there and actually <laughs> so we wouldn't have to renew it with, and use that money so we'd actually get the bus pass money and keep that as well. So, oh, wow. um, So yeah at the time I mean yeah you feel like you're you're a millionaire I can remember at that point at 16 I didn't even own a pair of jeans wow. Every, you know everything was just I had tracksuit bottoms and that's all I, saw I yeah. used to wear and trainers and stuff so I still remember going and buying my first shirt and <laughs> a pair of jeans because we were going out in Birmingham so I think I went to next got a pair of shoes a pair of next uh jeans and then my Ben Sherman orange Ben Sherman oh, shirt ben Sherman shirts are bigger than 90s. so that was yeah, one yeah. of the first things I bought with with my pay packs really so um with my pay packets so uh yeah, seems so long ago now. But
0: um, what your first your first game for the first team? When was that? Do you remember? Yeah,
1: um, I was nineteen. Um, at
0: ninety eight, time.
1: Yeah, ninety eight that would have been, um, and it was at home to Ipswich. So um, I still remember the couple of days leading up to it, and there'd been talk that I might. What league was like, it? Was in the championship? Championship, yeah. Would have yeah. Been, so it was like yeah, Division One at the time. Um, but the right back at the time had been having a bit of a nightmare, not playing well. So there was rumours that. You know, people saying to me like, "Oh, you're gonna, you're gonna be drafted into play," and I'm like, "No, no, no, I won't, I won't." And I think it came like Thursday or something like that, and I got called over to train with the first team. Yeah. And I just remember that feeling so nervous, just because I was thinking, like, right, "Yeah, this is gonna happen."
0: Would well, you? Because yeah, even um, that, you sort feel on trial, don't you? So you yeah. When you get the ball, yeah. just give it, give it
1: simple. You don't want to do anything wrong. Um And I just remember just feeling so, so nervous because I'm thinking, "Yeah, this is gonna happen. I'm gonna play on the weekend." So. Um, so I, don't, I wouldn't have thought those training sessions would have <laughs> gone too well and, and obviously yeah then on the Friday then it's a I balance got, isn't it between trying to
0: impress but yeah. not trying to make too many yeah. mistakes or so over risk
1: it is yeah so um, I got told I was playing on Friday um, and then all that night then obviously you know the butterflies are in the stomach and you're, you're just thinking about the game and wanting to do well and you're just trying to get positive thoughts into your mind and imagine yourself doing good things on the yeah. pitch and stuff
0: so you visualize to, to materialize is that a yeah. big
1: thing you think yeah 100 percent. i mean it's something i was, i've always tried to do throughout my career i was never one that got nervous really before games um, yeah more just excited really and it was something i always tried to do um you know pitch yourself you know winning that first header or winning that first tackle and doing something good in the game and
0: stuff yeah um, it's yeah because it's key to how you start sometimes isn't
1: it 100 100 a lot a lot of coaches will say that um if you can start the game well if the first thing that you can do is a good thing then generally then you go on to kind of have yeah. a good game and vice versa if you do something <laughs> bad initially then sometimes it can be hard then to um to pull things around so um so yeah i ended up playing um and got, got man of the match actually got sports Chris Cuomo playing for it British, which they know we've um, done by the I think it still be David Johnson was playing oh, at, yeah. Front at the time yeah. um and he was he was a good player at the time I don't think it might be Marcus Stewart possibly as yeah. well he was there and yeah. um, obviously he was a very good striker Because well which had been a premier league team not yeah. long before that hadn't they yeah, yeah they were a good side at the time um, so I knew it was going to be a kind of a baptism of fire um, but I, I just enjoy, just sort you know, just go out there and just try and do what you've been doing to get yourself to this point. Um, and I had a pretty good game, yeah, as so suddenly you know, I got, got the man of the match. And uh, then, that, yeah, that was me
0: kind of on my way, really. That was the first big moment for me, yeah. So you West Brom, you start to establish yourself and then apparently it changed it when, when Gary Megson came in, was that right? Yeah. Because this is the thing we talk about as well, yeah. because it happens in my business as yeah. well. In any business where people... liable to subjective judgment. Someone might think you're a great footballer or a great presenter and someone else doesn't necessarily feel the same way. It's difficult, isn't it? Yeah,
1: that's kind of how it went, really. Um, Everything had gone well for me up until that point. Um, I'd got myself into the first team. I was playing well when I was playing. Um, I'd signed a new contract then, I think a new three-year contract, um, which was a big thing for me. Um, So I'm thinking, yeah, I'm making my way. Everything's going really well. Um,
0: Gary Megson comes in, <laughs> and then suddenly um, it all just goes pear shaped. Basically, um, did he say anything to you? Did he say anything to you like, um, "Oh, I don't think I, I don't see you in the setup"? At basically, the
1: that's how it went, really, and that's why I left. Um, it was uh, it was a strange one. He actually did a good job at West Brom, to be fair. Um, by the end, you know, he brought in a lot of good players, um, got yeah. the team playing really well. But I just he just didn't see me as part of his plans. I don't think he was a player. Um, that he liked really um, a lot of the young lads really he wasn't really big on the young lads and he was a different kind of manager with his personality he could be quite fiery and ruthless at times and I, I just thought he had something against me to be I didn't think it was so much the playing side
0: yeah. I think it was more my personality and stuff And sometimes people, do, it's weird sometimes bosses don't like you do they? No, it's, it's it hard.
1: Was, Yeah, it was as simple as that really and I remember um, playing a game down at Portsmouth and he's pulled me and said look, you're my best right back Um, you're playing tonight so I thought oh he's trying to give me confidence here and Mm. let's go out there and try and perform and he dragged me off at half time (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why i really done wrong (laughs) yeah and then after that I wasn't Um, and then after that I never really played Um, I can remember then playing in a reserve game and we we got beat heavily Um, Andy Townsend was the reserve team manager at the time and I remember coming in after the game and he gave us a real dressing down Andy Townsend but I was the only kind of guy he didn't give a dressing down to because I was probably the only one who came out of the game with any credit. Mm-hmm. Um, but then on the Monday then Guy Megsons pulled all the players again because mm-hmm. he was disgusted at what he was watching um, and he just laid into me um, basically saying, look, you didn't do this, you didn't do that and that's why you won't play in my team ever. Um, I, I was just really confused because the night before the first team yeah. coach has said the complete opposite yeah. and then you're saying um, something totally different so he's got so a gym, maybe
0: he's trying to get you out to make, get money or something yeah like that. maybe
1: yeah. Um, so at that point I just thought you know what this is going nowhere I, I had three years on my contract um, but I just wanted out I just wanted to play week in week out and I just wanted to be in a better environment so I just wasn't enjoying working under his management so the opportunity came for me to go on loan to Cardiff yeah, I, I didn't think twice about it really. Um, I never said goodbye. He never said anything to me really, apart from, you know, Cardiff have come in for you on loan, mm-hmm. and and that was that. I was gone. Going back to Wales was back to Wales yeah. was yeah. In a way, was nice because obviously you <clears> know, <throat> know my family were all there and stuff, um, and I would have gone anywhere to be honest. I would have gone anywhere to to just get out of that environment and just be playing week in and week out because at that point I felt. Having, having made my debut, then you don't want to go backwards and not be playing. Yeah, like at yeah. that point, at 19, 20, you want to be kicking on and playing in week in, week out. And I wasn't, so I would have gone anywhere. Um, so I went down there for Cardiff and then signed after that. Yeah. It's
0: funny how people always say that there's a sport, it's all based on ability and hard work. But actually, there's a lot of subjectivity in it and, and who rates you and, and who doesn't in terms of that. And my mum saying to me, actually, I think it was about screen tests as a presenter, she said, Oh, I probably remind him of someone that bullied him at school when <laughs> he don't get the job or something like that. Yeah. So you never know what goes on in the no, world in terms can't... of that, that, you know, that kind of it, subjective element.
1: It can be as simple as, as that, someone liking you or not liking you.
0: Yeah. In any, in any business,
1: any kind of walk of life really, you know, where you have uh, employees and you have a manager, um, sometimes it can be nothing to do with the ability or what you're able to do. It might just be the manager, yeah they see one mistake a mindset, they get with it sees then... one mistake or sees something in your personality which he doesn 't like, and he just holds that against you, so whatever it was he he didn 't fancy me i don 't think as a player didn 't fancy me as a maybe as a person. Um, and I was quite happy to, to get out of that environment to be fair because I
0: wasn't knowing it either so. <laughs> we go, been go for a while I know you've used a lot of time but just to summarise your club career and reflect on it you obviously from West Brom went to Cardiff yeah. and then you had the spell in London with West Ham United yeah. Queen's Park Rangers Crystal Palace didn't you and then um, back to Cardiff yeah. ultimately what, what were the, the highlights who were the best people you worked with what were the the best times of your your Um, career in that
1: period I think initially that move to Cardiff um, was the best thing I ever did because I dropped down two divisions I went down to division three um, which would be league one yeah yeah and I learned a lot of things about myself you know the the physicals kind of side of the game different style of play Um, I was very used to what you see now I suppose from a lot of young players and how a lot of teams play where you play out from the back and yeah. you know, you, you're trying to keep possession and stuff I went to Cardiff and it was shelling it in the <laughs> channel and you know strikers it you know, elbowing it and out, you know, things like been, that yeah. and you know, I still remember one of my first games there and um, I'm looking to play a short ball and nobody was really showing and <laughs> I ended up giving the ball away and I remember the striker at the time Kevin Nugent running back to me and saying just stick it in the corner I mean, that's not how we play and stuff so I, I, I had to adapt quickly as a young lad and and I learned
0: Learned um, to defend as well which we're talking about academy players now on as defenders they're almost encouraged first of all to be ball players they are they are Um, and that's why I think
1: you're seeing less and less um, good defending and good defenders now probably in the Premier League there is a, a, a trend now where everybody's got to look good on the ball first before you do anything else so you know I learned a lot there I grew up as a person there um did a lot of learning worked under good managers Alan Cork um converted me back to a centre half oh, okay. after a couple of seasons we, we got promotions there um, so I, I owe a lot to Alan Court because I was playing right back I was playing left wing back left wing back? yeah for a little uh, bit how was your left foot I can't Yeah, can't right. yeah, that's, yeah. that's why it's alright because I played yeah. a lot of my time there and developed my weaker foot um, and he pulled me end of one season and said look next season I want to play you centre back I'm going to sign Spencer
0: Pryor it's quite unusual um, to go to your left wing back and say I'm yeah, going to play centre yeah. half. Next well, year.
1: I used to I, I used to get the odd goal there, and I was quite versatile as a player. As I said, I played as a winger yeah. as a youngster, so it wasn't really a big issue for me. Um, and he just said, "Oh look, I want to play you as a centre back. I'm going to sign Spencer Proud to play alongside you." Um, and I I went from centre back from there on under him, uh, Lenny Lawrence. Then after that was a great manager experience yeah yeah um, I had a lot of faith in me um, I become captain
0: um, under his management um, how, how young were you that you're pretty young still, I would have been you?
1: 24 5 then
0: um is that tricky to be a leader because presumably yeah, the older players in, yeah, the, in the
1: dressing room it was because I didn't really have leadership qualities in me I was quite a shy yeah. lad um, and communication wasn't one of my strongest points but at that point, um, I had no choice but to take the captain's role, really, because the club um, was struggling, had almost gone into administration. Sam Aman had spent too much money. Oh, no. uh, Graham Cavanaugh, who was the club captain at the time, had left yeah. and sold. The players were just getting sold, you know, left, right and centre. So I had to take over the captaincy and navigate the team through to the back end of that season, because at that point we were struggling a bit, actually. We were close to relegation. and. Um, that was a big moment for me, um, so I had to grow up then as well in um, the communication side and leadership skills. That was something, and I started to kind of develop with getting that captaincy, um, the armband on my arm. So, um, so that was interesting. And then moving on to West Ham, yeah.
0: Um, so Alan Pardew was manager, was he at West yeah, Ham? Yeah. What, um, what was that experience like moving to moving to London and being?
1: Well, again, um, it was a big kind of culture change. Um, myself and James Collins moved at the same time a double transfer which you don't see too much these days two centre-backs yeah. moving together and we didn't have a clue about too much about London and what it entailed how big the city was we didn't know where West Ham was exactly we thought we would have to live in central <laughs> London we didn't realise yeah. it was like Essex and yeah, you live outside yeah, yeah. And, so we didn't really know yeah, London's like 25 miles across yeah. isn't it so yeah. it's a huge, it's, huge it's place huge. Yeah. so we, we didn't know so we were we were excited because um, we were moving to a big club we probably didn't even realise how big West Ham was a club as well we had Pas- really passionate fans aren't we? yeah we had played against them that season because West Ham were in the championship um, and they got promotion so we knew they were a big club but we didn't know how big the fan base was until we got there um, even like the different characters in the dress from the London lads and the different <laughs> lingo and stuff initially myself and James thought these players are not having us and we were a little bit we're yeah. not sure about them because I think London lads can come across as quite being a bit brash and cocky a bit arrogant but yeah. but that wasn't the case it was just their personalities I suppose so so it took a little yeah. bit of time for us to kind of get used to, to them and them to get used to us but you know, once we were there then and we settled in it was a, a great great club to play for and that first season um, I had there is probably the, the best football I've played in my career That ended up in the FA Cup final was it? Yeah, FA Cup yeah. final and uh, we finished I think top 10 finish in the Premier League, we we qualified for the Europa League, um, and you know we we played some really good. Dean Ashton was pretty good in that team, wasn't he? Well? Dean yeah. was brilliant. Yeah, yeah, we signed him I think in January yeah, that season from Norwich. I think he came from. He did from, yeah, Norwich? Yeah. from Nor- I think he Yeah, he I think
0: from Norwich, and then. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah so I West played then.
1: against Dean. when he was at Crew, and I was at Cardiff, and I knew what a good player he was. So I knew what player we were signing, um, and we just had a lot of young players all. In a similar situation in their careers. You know, we yeah. were all none of us had played really in the Premier League before. We were all really hungry to prove ourselves and we were, we had no fear really. You know, we all just wanted to come up against these big sides and show what we could do really. And and Nigel Ria was there. Nigel's there, yeah. Anton Ferdinand, uh, Hayden Mullins. Mark um, Noble just starting to make through Mark Noble was a seventeen year old. He'd just come back off loan, I think. I think he went Ipswich on loan as okay. a youngster. And he actually was one of the first players, my first training session. Who I thought what a player this boy is going to yeah. be. Yeah, there was him and another young lad, um, Anthony Stokes, who's not at the club now. But you, know, you looked at him as a seven-year-old and just knew he was going to be a, a superstar. And you know he's gone on to have an amazing career. Um, but there was a lot of good young players at the time, and we all just had the same kind of mentality um, of wanting to do well, and, um, and we just all got on really well.
0: Yeah. on and off the field. So um, it, was, it was a good season, that season, yeah. And And when you sort of, you, we talked about before, um, the when things started to change when you hit 32 as a player, was it where were you? Was that sort of Crystal Palace, Queen's Park range? Because yeah. suddenly, you know, the, the football starts to look at you as an old man, even yeah. though by society's exactly. standards you're still a young man. Oh, so it must it, be a weird thing to, it, it, to go It through. was
1: because I'd had five years at Cardiff, basically. I'd had five years at West Ham. And then it was like, where do I go now? Um, so I left West Ham, my contract ran out and I, it was a struggle to find a team yeah. and that was at 31-32 I think at the time um, so I was scratching around waiting for something to happen um, I ended up going to QPR and they'd just been taken over um, so I signed just before the takeover I remember going down to Neil Warnock's house because he, he just wanted to um, give had me you, a once been over with,
0: so Neil Warnock did you cross paths with him twice or you weren't with um, him at Palace where you no, no you just him at yeah. QPR so yeah. um,
1: he had got QPR up to the Premier League um, And uh, I was on a free. Um, Nothing was really happening. So I I think I ended up joining QPR just after pre-season. Yeah. um, Or just like halfway through pre-season. So um, I remember him saying, look, I had to go down to his house and meet him because he... he Was Was he living uh, in the southwest, isn't he? He was down in Richmond, I think. Oh, uh, was in Richmond? Oh, he had a London London pad as well, yeah. So um, he said, look... um, we want to sign you but I just come down I just want to have a chat with you first so I had to go down to his house and <laughs> he was asking me a few questions this, that, the other and stuff and I ended up uh, signing at QPR then um, had a season there was probably one of the worst seasons I've had <laughs> as a footballer to be honest with you it was um, that when things were falling apart at the club isn't yeah, yeah. Warnock got sacked um, Flanders brought a lot of players in Joey Barton John Mike Phillips yeah a lot of players come in Warnock got sacked because um, we did have a great start to the season then Mark Hughes kind of came in um, we managed to stay up but I didn't really play under Mark Hughes he, Did you know Mark again, Hughes from Wales? Yeah I did yeah. Um, and I enjoyed actually playing under him at that point so you know, when you yeah. have a manager come in who you've worked with before you kind of think well I should have a good chance Yeah because he picked you for the yeah. 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 country and and Yeah he yeah, made my debut he actually gave my debut for Wales so you're thinking oh this might work out well for me um, I played initially a few couple of games, um, but then for whatever reason, um, I know what happened actually, I got injured after a game, I, I played in a cup game, scored the winner, um, but I had a problem with my back and I got through the game, but then I'm, I was out for the next game. Yeah. I remember him saying to me, oh look, right, okay, we'll, we'll get you right and we'll get you back in as soon as you're ready, but I never, he never put me back in. I was sat on the bench for the rest of that season, he, he never explain why it's tough, never, tough
0: sometimes isn't it when things are yeah. out of your control to alter because it's all right if you're playing maybe yeah. not playing what can you what exactly
1: can you and it was it was difficult then because I, I didn't really know what he would say to me to explain why I wasn't playing anyway because I'd actually played quite well yeah before you know beforehand, before and before I got that little injury and so what would he say really that would make sense as to why I wasn't playing um so that was it he didn't say nothing to me I didn't really say <laughs> nothing to him all that season I didn't play sat on the bench it was I, I didn't enjoy kind of being there then I was, I was, I was one of So you you
0: thinking at that stage early 30s about what was next were you thinking about well, sort of after football
1: I'd signed a one year contract that I knew then I would be leaving I knew I I think I had an option of a second season if I played a certain amount of games and I was about too short oh, okay. at Christmas yeah and oh, I hadn't right. played another game that, can be that an issue
0: can't they aware of
1: so, that sometimes so yeah so um, I was short by about a couple of games and I knew they weren't going to keep me on because I, I didn't really play so um, I was quite happy to kind of go then because I wasn't mentally in the right place anyway I wasn't happy being there um, and then it was the same thing again. Where do I go now? So it's Crystal Palace, was it? Yeah, so I, I think I signed for Palace something like in October. So who's the like. manager of Palace at, at uh, that Dougie point Frieden.
0: Dougie Friedman. Dougie Friedman, okay. So I was waiting. He was a local, he was the hero. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he played
1: for them obviously. Um, and I was just waiting for a club, nothing was happening. Um, my agent was saying, oh, do you want to go on trial here, there? At that point, I had my stubborn head on. Why do I need to <laughs> go on trial anyway? I've done this, I've done that. It is weird how perception yeah. changes,
0: isn't it? Like you're saying, any mistake you make after 30, suddenly so yeah. anything because you're old, not because you're old. Yeah, not because it's you're, you're um, old. Yeah. We want
1: to have a look at you. Um, we don't want to just sign you. So I was stubborn. I don't want to go on trial. don't want to do that. Why do I need to do this? Um, so you quickly have to then adjust your mindset a bit because yeah. you're so used to people club's it's you, humbling yeah Yeah, you have to be hum- a bit more humble about it so in the end I had to be humble went on trial at Palace ended up signing there um, not thinking we'd get promotion nobody was thinking that Palace would get promotion that season because we'd had a bad start yeah. um, but Dougie did a great job up until January so good that he then left and went to Bolton Oh yeah. And Ian Holloway came in and managed to we managed to get
0: up to the Premier League for the playoffs. But what was Ian Holloway like to? Uh, he was mad. He was yeah. mad.
1: But I, I actually, as a personality, I loved him. You know, he was full of energy, enthusiasm. He seemed to
0: put football in perspective a bit, didn't he? he had like appreciation of life. And... Yeah,
1: um, but not all the players got on with him because he was very different to Dougie. Dougie was quite regimented. This is how we're going to play. Blah blah blah. Mm. Ian Holloway was a bit more off the cuff. So we come in like this week we're playing like this oh, way okay, yes. like we're going to try and emulate Barcelona we lose a couple of games <laughs> then he'd come in right now we're going to play like Bayern Munich he was very so the players were very used to being a certain way yeah you're saying he... the players find it hard to adapt yeah and they didn't really adapt to what he wanted so we ended up then slipping down almost out of the playoffs we got in the playoffs in sick position I think but then he actually then switched back and realised it wasn't working and he then said oh look we'll go back to what you know um, and for the playoff games, he was a brilliant manager, he was spot on, he got the tactics spot on um, and got us promotion. So those two seasons out at Palace were two of the best seasons I've had in my career because I just rediscovered the love for football yeah. again. Just oh, good. going into trading every day and just enjoying working with a group of lads that um, are just good personalities and everybody wanted to look after each and other. Appreciate
0: and appreciating that you are getting to play football, I suppose it's appreciating Yeah doing yeah. the job because it's, I guess sometimes things can get lost can't they if it becomes a job and it 100%. becomes just clocking in
1: clocking out 100% um, and it, it wasn't so much the playing football I wanted to obviously get back playing football but it was more just a day to day basis of going in and just enjoying training and just enjoying being the, the people at URM because at QPI it was it was crazy the dressing yeah. room was crazy there was there was fractions there was fights going on all the time wow. um, it was a really difficult so you get affected
0: by the people you spend the most time with as well don't you yeah. you, your mood you, do,
1: and... you do and I just wasn't in a good place so uh, going to Palace it was one of the best things I ever did not so much because of the playing side but just to get my mind right and just enjoy going into training and working with a group of lads who all um, on the same wavelength really yeah. and the promotion was just a bonus and that's why we got promoted cause we wasn't like the best team in the league yeah, but we had the best team spirit and we were very organised and difficult kind of, to beat and we had Glenn Murray who scored about 30 on goals <laughs> that season
0: Helps doesn't it, yeah, yeah
1: so, um, so that was a good couple of years but I really really enjoyed my time at Palace
0: We touched just finally about Wales as well your career there, 11 years I think about 11 years for your country wasn't it you played or- a decade or so. Yeah, would have yeah. been
1: about that, yeah. But
0: was, you 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 sort of bowed out just before Euro 2016 when it oh, to the yeah, semi-finals. Yeah. How, what was that like watching in the on the Amazing. summer 3 years ago because yeah. did you feel frustrated that you just missed out on no, that, that not, time not period not at
1: all? I mean, you know, it would have been great to have been involved in a major tournament, you know, for any player to be involved in a major tournament or when you hang your boots up say that you played in a Euros or World Cup, you know, it's 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 the pinnacle really of your of your yeah. career. Um but I wasn't bitter at all. Um, you know, I got to go over as a fan almost. I worked, I did radio over there for five weeks, and it was the next best thing almost. You know, yeah. it was One of the best five weeks I've ever, ever had in my life watching. That's about team spirit as well, wasn't it? Oh, it seemed. Yeah. Wales' the biggest strength was was team spirit. You know, we could talk about Gareth Bale and Alan Ramsey and um, Chris Coleman, the manager, but the biggest strength of the Wales team was was the team spirit. And you know, I was in the first three, four um with a qualifying leading yeah. uh, up to the the euros and i knew that's that's the only disappointment i had i knew what was coming yeah i could see um the changes i could see everything coming together i could see the team spirit and so whose place center half was it it was ashley williams we okay. played a back three so it yeah. was ben davis ashley williams and james chester uh, james chester yeah and then you had myself and james collins in the squad so yeah my biggest disappointment was because i knew what was going to happen um <laughs> So I wasn't playing for Cardiff at the time, so by the third or fourth game, I couldn't get in. It was impossible for Chris
0: Coleman to pick me, so um, mm. so that was, I fully understood that. It's difficult for Wales managers, isn't it? Because in my lifetime, I had the most you know, amazing, talented players like Ian Rush, Ryan Giggs, Mark Hughes, Gary Speed... And then you've always sometimes had lower league players as well. It's always been an an odd mix. Was that an interesting dynamic when you're mixing with players from different levels? Does it keep you grounded in a way?
1: It does, yeah. Um, And I was one of those players initially coming into the Wales squad. I mean, when I made my debut for, or when I, my first cap for Wales, I was playing league probably Division 2 I think Cardiff City so it's the third fourth tier yeah Yeah. so for me it was quite intimidating coming into a squad where you've got the likes of guys be John Hartson Ryan Giggs Andy Melville Robert Page uh, Pembridge all these players that are playing at the top level and they're probably looking at me thinking one who is this guy (laughs) and two who does he play because they wouldn't watch you on TV would they of course not so they're probably thinking well does he deserve to be here and I'm thinking the same thing do I deserve to be in this company so you know, back then, it was a bit like that. And certainly after that period when Mark Hughes left and John Toshak came in, it was a mix of players. There was maybe only two or three Premier League players and everyone yeah. else was League One, League Two. guy um, a
0: guy who managed Real Madrid, so it's much yeah. different for him so, as well. Yeah,
1: so very different for him. Um, and that's one of the reasons why we probably... Qualified for that major, for a major tournament because at that point we had a lot of players playing in the Premier League. Yeah. There wasn't too many lower league players. Everybody was playing at the top level and playing week in week out, and that you know, that's a massive help. But certainly when I was playing it was it was a mix. It was a, Someone's just
0: uh, cleaning their <laughs> shoes or something over there. We've had a helicopter. Yeah,
1: we've had rain. Yeah. We've people banging. I oh, appreciate
0: you stayed the podcast all this way. It's been it's been amazing. It adds
1: to the kind of yeah. realism. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, like it. definitely real. Um, but no, it was it was a, it was a mixture of people from different leagues when I was playing, and that,
0: that was part of the problem. We didn't have enough players playing at the top level. So, so Danny, had you how do you reflect? It's been a wonderful to have a chat to you. We could chat all day. But had yeah. you reflect on because one of the reasons I started the podcast is about sport, about life. And there's yeah. been people on here and non. Uh, sportsmen and women but what do we get out of sport why are we obsessed with it what do you think what's football given you in, in terms of your life
1: um it's given me i think fulfillment more than anything um i mean the things that i've done as a player to you know play for your country um promotions with your club uh, playing in the premier league um, yeah you know those are things as a kid you always dream of doing but you know as i said earlier in the pod at 16 i was thinking that's Probably yeah. not going to happen for me. So, to achieve those things is amazing when I look back. But I think footballers just given me a lot of uh, my personality that I have now as well. So, um, with regards to you know, respect, yeah. discipline, um, communication, um, dealing with setbacks, you know, injuries. Cinema um, cocktail. <laughs> that's what it is <laughs> for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, all those kind of things, really, that have happened to me throughout my career have helped to kind of mould my personality and, and to make me kind of the person that I am now as well. So um, football has given me so much more than, than just football. And as I said, the things that have happened to me on the field.
0: Characteristics, hard work. Yeah, I mean, hard I mean, work. Controlling what you can control, I guess, comes out of this. You can't always control people's opinions, but you can control what you do. And...
1: Yeah, um, I think that's a big thing as well. Um, because certainly, I was as a youngster, I was someone who would overthink things a bit too much and if I you know, if I played a bad game or um, I think about it for days um, I'd let it affect me or I'd worry about what managers thought of me too much and stuff like that so as soon as I got older I learned to be more realistic and, and as you say just control what I can do and that's just going out and trying to perform the best I can and if I don't then okay it's okay to have a bad game yeah. and you look to the next game and you and you try to improve, so... Yeah, because unlike
0: the fans, you have to wipe the slate clean emotionally, don't you, to, to you do. put it behind you?
1: You do, I think. If you're letting things fester too much um, into the next game, you're just not going to perform. So I think the more you can kind of concentrate on just doing your own thing, playing your own game and, and not be influenced by the outside stuff, maybe fans giving you stick or managers, you know, not happy with what you're doing and things like that. Um, if you can concentrate on your own game first and foremost and the things that you can control I think you would then tend to play better and be more consistent with your performances but, but it's becoming harder and harder as a footballer because there's so many more yeah. other pitfalls and off the field so stuff many pundits now. to analyse you yeah, <laughs> pundits, stats and scrutiny you know, cameras everywhere so that's become a lot harder for footballers now just to concentrate on the one thing that they're good at and, and that is the football but um, there are a lot of other positives that have come with how the game's evolved as well. So.
0: Certainly are. Danny, how do we keep track on you now? You, um, you're on social media and you've got the podcast with the BBC Wales, Yeah, you? I
1: do a podcast with BBC Radio Wales. Um, that's called the Ellis James Feast of Football. We uh, we cover the Welsh clubs mainly, but we also talk about Wales. We talk about events that have happened in the football world um, yeah. each week as well. Um, and then I'm just all over the place <laughs> from there. Um, I do a bit, little bit of with work Sky, with you guys on yeah, Sky. Yeah. Um just whoever whoever wants my services really, but yeah, I'm on socials as well. Instagram, um, I'm on I'm on Twitter as well. Uh, Gabardon35, I think that's my Twitter handle. Okay. So um, so yeah, um, you can get hold of me if you need to. On easier now to be on think. there when yeah. you're not getting performances in oh, games. Well, it certainly is as a player. Um, that's probably one of the biggest things I've noticed coming out of the game. You get treated a lot better on social media than you do when <laughs> yes, you're still in the yeah. game. Um, I, I did have problems with social media as a player, um, where I got into trouble with the FA. Got fined at West Ham for saying one or two uh, naughty <laughs> things to fans on there, and, and actually came off.
0: It's Twitter. like road rage though. Sometimes, isn't it? You yeah. Emotions and, yeah.
1: Sometimes yeah. the emotions get the better of you. We were in a pressure situation at the time, fighting relegation, and you know players were getting stick and. I'd won too many drinks on a night out <laughs> no. and, and fired back a few shots and, yeah. that, and my agent ringing me in the morning saying what have you
0: said well the fact is people just literally troll people just to get attention so they don't want they to to even care about them. Um, it yeah. so
1: it's difficult for players now and I actually came off social media then until I finished playing um, I came back on social media when I retired and you, know, you still get one or two but, but certainly now you get a lot more people kind of Respecting your views and interacting with you a, a lot nicer now. I've come out of the game and gone into the media side than when I was playing for sure. Yeah.
0: Mate, I really appreciate your time. Great to know you're local. It's been next a pleasure. Time. I won't try and record a podcast. Have a <laughs> coffee and a catch up, and uh, probably the weather will be better then. We're it's my fault. We should
1: have done this in the other hotel. Uh, but no, I made no, you come to the to the Malmaison. It's all right. So your phone, so.
0: your, phone uh, your phone map uh, went yeah. wrong, but it's been very nice at Malmaison and Shelton. Appreciate it, mate. And, um, Any time. You're back on Cardiff City duty tomorrow, aren't you? So I am. Yes, I'm there. down
1: at Cardiff, so uh, looking forward to that. um I've got Sheffield Wednesday, so um, difficult game for Cardiff,
0: but um, we'll see see how it goes, see what they can do. The Owls against the Bluebirds. Um, Pleasure, mate. Thank you very much, uh, guys, for listening to the podcast. Please do rate it on iTunes, spread the word yourselves on social media and tag myself and Danny. Thank you, guys.